0: We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ancrum, Cole, Elmeki, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the Eight Black Hands Podcast. This is episode 71. We're talking about self-care doing COVID. So, fellas, let's do a roundabout before we introduce our guest. Uh, Chris, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well, man. Very well, very well. I'm still black. I'm still alive. I still have, like, income. Uh, so I'm doing extremely well. Yeah, I feel it.
0: All right, Arif, what's up, baby?
2: Hey, man, it's great to be here. Good to see y'all. Excited about this show. Um, you know, somebody I deeply respect. And uh, things are going well, man. I'm, I'm plotting on what uh, what homeschooling looks like for the El Elmeki clan uh, come this this fall, man. About to order my chicks, grow some chicken. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, just we just put some uh, this weekend. Messing with the honeybees, some of you know. So, got some more bees for my son. Yeah, doing all right.
0: Good to see y'all. Good to see you too, Charles. What's happening?
3: Oh, nothing much, man. Uh, excited for the show. Looking forward to learning uh, from from Miss Hillary today. And
0: uh, yeah, man.
3: I, I hopefully I, I I got my pen ready to take some notes.
0: That's what's up. I am doing well. Uh, I took down a gate today, so I saved myself about three hundred dollars today. So I'm feeling real groovy, feeling like you know, getting that manual labor in to get some of this frustration out. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling good. Did you, so did, re- you did
1: you say grief groovy? Did you say you feeling groovy?
0: <laughs> yeah, man, that's the like, that's the new wave. That's new that's new slang. Old Bro- new slang.
1: Bro, do you have a calendar? Somebody should help this brother out with what the date is. Because is it groovy? You're going to say right on next, right?
0: <laughs> right bro, on. Old, right old, on. Old. Listen, everything is, is, is cyclical, bro. It comes it's around Okay. And so, yeah, Groovy's back now. All right, good. And I got a picture of him in bell-bottoms Like
1: <laughs> I was about to say, when he said Groovy, that's all I could think about was platform shoes and bell-bottoms.
0: <laughs> there we <laughs> go. <There we> and <laughs> hey, you
1: too tall for
0: both. You want, you want we, me to? We, 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 we <laughs> have a guest. We have a guest here. You want me to go
2: ahead and introduce <laughs> yeah, our, our esteemed yeah, guest? Please, sir. Please, sir. Please, sir. All right. So I'm really excited. To, uh, you know, we call her uh, one of our own in Philadelphia, even though she was born in Cleveland. But like, we don't care. She's she's from Philly, as far as we're concerned. But you know, uh, we're excited to have Hillary Beard uh, here. Um, you know, and just going to read a little bit of her her bio, which just uh, talks about uh, her strength. So one of the things she does is she educates people and help them develop their full potential, um, educators, parents, uh, community members. Uh, she's a, an award-winning writer uh, as well as uh, done tremendous work in public speaking, training and development, and uh, personal development coach. And for 21 years, her work as an independent writer and editor has focused on health and well-being in African-American communities. Among other accomplishments, she was the editor-in-chief of four health publications, wrote the report that first Alerted Black women to their HIV AIDS risk and penned a report for the Obama administration's White House Initiative on Educational Excellence in African Americans. Hillary has written 14 books, including two NAACP Image Award winners Promises Kept Raising Black Boys to Succeed in School and in Life, a research based guide for parents and educators. And the second uh, book that this was a uh, NAACP image award winner was health first the black women's wellness guide for african-american women and tween girls uh And she wrote that in 2013. Recently, she supported NASA mathematician and hidden figure Mrs. Katherine Johnson as she penned her autobiography for tweens, Reaching for the Moon. Hillary repurposes her research into public speaking and training, for instance, helping educators to increase their skills in diversity, equity, and inclusion. She also teaches an online course, Rise and Thrive, how to raise black children who shine during these treacherous times. I love that. And this helps the parents of Obama babies Raise resilient and high achieving children amidst the rise of overt racism. She is also a personal development coach. She is an honors graduate of Princeton University. And um, one additional thing I'll say <coughs> is that. Uh, you know we've invited and in, uh, Hillary to shoemaker campus uh, many times and where she not only did workshops with families she's done workshops with our students and of course she's done multiple workshops for uh, the shoe crew uh, teachers and staff so Hillary beer welcome we are so glad to have you tonight
4: thank you I'm excited to be here and I um, am excited for you all and uh, really want to just acknowledge how much work it takes I don't even know how much work it takes to put off uh, pull off 70 podcasts
2: It's a lot. And <laughs> I, I can say I can say I do the least. And I shout out to, to my brothers who really, you know, hold it
4: down. Yeah, I know it's more than a notion. When the recession hit, I uh, collaborated with uh, Dr. Kamara Jones, who's an MD, MPH, PhD epidemiologist. And uh, a friend of mine, Phil Wilson, who for I don't know how many decades ran the Black AIDS Institute. And so Dr. Kamara is um, like Anthony Fauci is our Dr. Kamara. Let me put it that. Way, and Phil knows how to navigate a pandemic real time, and so we started doing weekly Facebook Lives to educate our community about COVID and the pandemic and how epidemics work and how the disease spreads and all this kind of stuff. And so we did fifteen weeks, and it was exhausting. So you're what four times that? Wow. Yeah, we've taken it. We're taking on a six week hiatus. So (laughs) it's impressive.
0: Yeah, so tonight we are talking about self-care and self-care during COVID. So, fellas, what are y'all doing right now to take care of yourselves? Let's talk about it. Anybody can start. Yeah,
1: you know what? I'm going to just admit that I don't understand self-care. So this is a good show for me. Because to be very honest with you, I'm gonna say some things, and then I'm sure our guest is gonna help me. Um, Self care, I usually, uh, I usually when I hear it, I usually think of a different population, Mm -hmm. other than us. Mm in a different class level than mine. And I just don't know what it means when you work, 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 work as a way of life. Like that's been since, you know, my grandfather was like that, my father was like that, I'm like that. Like, I don't have days off. There are no days off, I work every day. So when I hear things like self-care, I'm interested, I'm curious, but I just have to be honest, I'm ignorant about what it actually is.
4: I'm grateful for your honesty, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think about it more than I used to, um, definitely. Um, You know, when I think about, uh, you know, and we talked about this before, like when I got shot, I probably should have gotten therapy (laughs) when I when I grew up and. The rage that I had, I probably at some point should have gotten therapy. Um, working in schools for 26 years and, and witnessing the trauma that our children uh, push through, the the assault on the communities, the vicarious, you know, I'm already dealing with my own stuff and trying to keep it bottled. And I felt like I compartmentalized really well, uh, but the vicarious trauma also has an impact. And um, yeah, you know, I used to do martial arts like three, four days a week. And once I became principal, that just, it, I just couldn't do It I could not find the time to do that if I couldn't even concentrate because I thought, like, even if I'm in class, I'm like, yo, I really should be doing this because next week or next month or next semester, like that, it was just a distraction. So, I, I was, that's a long answer for I'm not doing anything right now, <laughs> you know. I, I go in the garden, I, I, I tend to the bugs and the bees and uh, and the kids, and you know, but sometimes kids add stress, you know, it don't necessarily always take it away, you know, but it does take it away sometimes,
3: a lot of times. Charles. I I mean, I think, you know, self-care is a term. I think I'm in the same boat as Chris, and it's just tough because, you know, my parents and grandparents, that's not a term that they knew or is, like, a thing for them. And it's kind of difficult. I feel kind of guilty, like, with that term because, you know, my job is hard. I do hard work, but it doesn't really – compare to the type of work they did uh, commensurate with the level of respect and pay they got for it. So, you know, my life is significantly easier. So it's a little tough. But on the technical side of it, I do have a therapist. I do have a coach um, and an assistant, which is like really helpful. Um, And I tend to struggle and get in trouble when people tell me, hey, I need you to unplug or relax but honestly for me it just actually builds in more um anxiety if i'm like if it's during the week and i'm not working and then i have to do more work or i miss out on an opportunity so uh it's definitely not something that i've mastered
0: yet and i'm looking forward to learning from you That's what's up. So self-care for me, uh, yeah, I've gotten better over the years in terms of taking care of myself. But when you work as a school leader, there's a lot of stress that uh, that, that comes with that. Um, you don't really eat healthy. Uh, you don't really sleep well because, like Reef said, you're carrying the traumas of the big babies with you. And a lot of times, you know, you'll see something and it'll be extremely disturbing and it'll be hard for you to sleep when, um, when, when you see those types of things, um, be personally, you know, it, it got me into like a real bad eating, it got me into real bad eating habits or whatever, because you're eating on the go and you're not really eating healthy and doing the things that you need to do in terms of like self-monitoring or whatever. So, you know, diabetes runs in my family. And I and I happened to go to my doctor one time and he was like, yo, you're pre-diabetic. And a lot of people, when they go to their doctors, they don't understand what that means when your doctor says you're pre-diabetic. That means that you're on your way to death and that you need to chill out and you need to Jeez. do something differently because mm-hmm. if you don't, yes, it's going to die. And so for me, you know, I didn't take <laughs> heed to those, to those warnings, ended yeah. up... Um, with an A1C hemoglobin uh, above the, the the ranks of, uh, of pre-diabetes. and then um, I had to work myself I had to work myself back into health. Uh, and, and you know, definitely, you know, my mental health was a reason and helped me get to where my physical health got better. My A1C is under six now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling groovy again. Uh yeah, and so that's where we are. But uh, my morning walks help. Uh, meditation helps. Uh, yoga has helped. Uh, um, the Peloton app for the ninety days that I had it free has helped. So I'm gonna have to pay that twelve ninety nine to get it get it rocking. Uh, yeah, but those are all the things for me in, in my perspective. But Miss Beard, I'm 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 gracious that you're here and uh I definitely want to learn from you. Jeez. Man, if my doctor would have told me that I was pre-diabetic
2: the way that you just did, I may have done things differently. Like he, he told me I was pre-diabetic, but he didn't say it that way. Like I I I was just like, oh, all right. I I uh but what you just said is gonna resonate for a
1: long time with me. Mine was worse because he didn't say you're going to die, which he should have, because that would have made it easy. But he did say like, you know, you could, you could lose a limb. You could, you could start losing body parts. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, And uh, it was real scary. And that actually that jolted me. Sugar became the devil to me at that point mm-hmm. in a way it never had been before in the same way. Like uh, when I got to 45, my doctor told me I was a smoker and he said, Chris, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I've given you a hard time about smoking before, but at 45 is when you start separating from regular people. And at 45, as smokers, you start dying. And then you know everybody else keeps, keeps living.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Quit <laughs> in no time at all. Quit smoking like on a dime, just because he did that little thing. He showed me, you about to die. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Ray, you didn't mention yoga. You do yoga too. Yeah, Yeah, he said said it. it. He said, "Okay, I missed it." Yeah, yeah, I I would have laughed
2: at him before, but I I don't laugh about you know um, yoga. Black okay. person, black men doing <laughs> yoga anymore. Listen, you can't you you, you just said Listen, you was a martial artist. Yeah, that's that's a little bit different than yoga. You know, I was I was learning how different. to how to do some some real stuff. You know what I mean? Right. like <laughs> like I don't even know how what to say. But mm-hmm. but Hillary you- Beard, hearing all this from four black men, um, I saw you cringe a couple of the times as we were talking. You know, what would you <laughs> say, what, what would you say to us as well as as our audience?
4: OK, <laughs> 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 I was close to home uh, because I am the daughter of a black man who I loved very much mm. and who loved me and who had a devastating stroke when I was a senior in college mm. and my father smoked. So it's exciting to me, Chris, to hear that you've quit. Hmm. As much of my childhood, you know, my siblings and I would hide the cigarettes and try to talk to him into not smoking and wet the cigarettes and break the cigarettes and, you know, all these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I think my dad, well, my dad was born in 1923, so we knew less, Mm. right, when he was smoking. And I think my dad assumed that he would have a stroke I mean, a um, heart attack and be out, and that would be that. I know he worried very much about our futures. But my father um, had a stroke. Uh, which is a brain attack and so uh, he bled in a a blood vessel burst the blood uh, seeped into his brain and so the blood is not supposed to touch your brain it's supposed to be in the vessels and every brain cell it touches it kills or damages right and so my father goes from being this man who could um (sighs) who proudly provided for his children and struggled and sacrificed so that we could have access to a life that he wasn't able to have access to. And he was very successful in that. And right at the point when all of us were about to launch, you know, I get the I'm at college, I get this call from my mother and I could... (laughs) You know, all my life I had been waiting for the day my dad would have the stroke, like I knew my dad, a a heart attack, I knew my dad was going to die, I just knew. So in the back of my mind, my dad's going to die, my dad's going to die, my dad's going to die, I didn't really know what that meant. but. And I'm at college, beginning of my senior year, and I get this phone call from my mother and I hear this sound in her voice that I had never heard before and she said that he had had a stroke. And so I knew that this was a serious thing. I didn't know what a stroke meant and you know next thing I'm headed home uh, believing that my dad is going to die and hoping you know like desperately hoping that I'll make it on time to say goodbye to him. And um my father lived but when I got to go see him he was um uh he was alive, like he was there, but not there, right? So he lost the use of half of his body, and never regained it. Um, but he did live. Um, the uh, I went back to school after we knew he would live. Um, I was home for a week and finally he, he was just puzzled. He didn't know who we were. You know, and finally I explained to him, daddy, I'm your daughter. And then all of a sudden his, he was like, oh, like he, we told him who we were and he remembered who we were. I went back to school after we knew he would live. When I came home from Christmas, my father was on a psych ward, suicidal, mm-hmm. right? So that's how I spent the sen- senior year of my Christmas, trying to talk my father into living. When I graduated, you know, I was just like prayerful. Oh, my God, my dad... Sacrificed all these things for my siblings and I to go to college. So he made it to my graduation, which was great. And then he passed out at my graduation. So, you know, so the amazing thing was that my father fought for his life for the next 10 years, but the first five years of his life, he was suicidal. I cannot every week I'm having a conversation with my father trying to talk him into not killing himself. And so it when i hear you all talk about your health challenges and your concerns about your health i know that out of all the things that we were supposed to talk about you asked me to talk about this for a reason because there are a bazillion things i could talk to you about and so i'm glad um to honor my father's life, to be here to have a serious conversation with Black men about self-care, because we come, like our legacy, we come from people. Many of us are most Black people in the United States, certainly those of us who are African-American and many Uh, other folks from the African diaspora, we are the descendants of people who were um, removed from their self-care traditions. Their self-care rituals were stripped from them and we were we were required to work right so i all when i was in my 20s i went to therapy for the first time i had dreams and i wasn't moving toward them and i was trying to you know i knew that therapy was this thing that these white people these white women at my job did i didn't really know what it was but it seemed like okay i want to go right but i keep going left maybe that therapy thing you know that these white women do can help me (laughs) so i started going to therapy and started kind of uh, untangling the thing and pulling back the onion and realizing that I was a multi-generation workaholic. And when I looked at the legacy of workaholism in my family, it went back to, of course, slavery, you know? Mm -hmm. And I can identify a great, great uncle, I think it was, who had a tree on his back. You know and um, from having been whipped and then I have um, a cousin who I met for the very first time and the very first time I met him this was um, he was probably in his 40s and this was 20 years ago and the first time I met him he told me that he was in therapy and so I'm in the con tree right And so this man I'm meeting for the very first time, who's my cousin, tells me he's in therapy. So I'm like, wow, who is this guy? Right. And um, so he tells me that he was. So this is how I found out about this um, great. It's either great or great, great uncle who had a tree on his back. And so he is a descendant of that man. And so he started telling me a story. Uh, His wife left him and he didn't know why his wife left him. And so he went to counseling and in counseling, he found out that his wife left him because he beat her. And then, so he started rewinding and looking at what he grew up seeing. And part of what he grew up seeing was that man beat his wife. And so in my family, I've been able to trace on that side of the family, this legacy that goes back to slavery of, um, you know, the beating, you know, and the excess of working. So the physical abuse did not travel down my line of the family, but the overworking did. And so my father almost worked himself to death. He dropped almost dead at work and his mother almost worked Yeah. And so when I hear um, black men talking about working, Hard, which there's nothing wrong with working hard at all, and particularly you all have such purpose about your work. Um, And the number of people who you touch is incredible. And as the daughter of a man who dropped almost dead on the job, I also want to say that your children need you here And our community needs you here longer. And so when I hear that you're meditating and practicing yoga and are even curious about self-care, like, you know, it's a thing. Maybe you associate it with women because in this society, that's how it's taught. But even for women, we're taught fashion and beauty, not self-care. So I'm excited to be able to talk to you about what self-care is and how that can look for an African-American man. And why it's so essential so sorry to get so heavy on you you know no, but thank you I think we're talking about this. No.
1: <laughs> i think it's really so- important because i was just listening to you and i was like this this is everything that scared me this is everything that scared me like i look at my daughter and I can guarantee you if I wasn't a parent, there's a lot of these behaviors I would have never changed. I, I liked smoking a lot yeah. <laughs> when I smoked and I smoked for a long time and I liked it. Like it was like one of my favorite things. I was an enthusiast when it came to smoking. I was two yeah. packs a day when i quit yeah. so um that's huge yeah i mean like and never couldn't imagine not doing it anymore though i couldn't imagine but i remember at one point when he said the thing about statistics like you're going to be a statistic that wouldn't have gotten to me as much as my youngest child as a daughter and the thought about her like not having me you know in her 20s and and god willing into her 30s or for her wedding and things like that just it hurt to even think about it like it just it's the only thing that could have stopped me on a dime from smoking
4: yes well um Thank you, you know, because what I can say, I, I have a wonderful life, and I can also say that losing our fa- my father changed the trajectory of my life. It changed the trajectory of my brother's life, my sister's life. Like, I can see how we got thrown off, you know, um, by that. And it was so painful for my father, you know, to be, he, I mean, he was trapped in his own body, you know. And he was brilliant. He was brilliant, even you know, in his stroke. You know, um, having had the stroke, stroke. But you know, I think he imagined being out, not trapped in his own body. Mm-hmm. And dependent upon the very people who he had um, sacrificed almost everything, mm. to, um, you know, launch out into the world. As and we, you know, as amazing human beings, and we have become amazing human beings. And part of our amazingness, and I know you all talk a lot about empathy and compassion, um, is because of having a father who was disabled. You know, for that part of my life, and um, you know, so uh, yeah. Great.
3: Oh, appreciate that, Ray. I know you had a question, man. Why don't, why don't you yes. throw
0: that so, question out there? Yeah. So real quick, and I, I guess this question is for everybody. Like, why do you why do you guys feel like it's so much of a, a, a animus towards therapy in our community? In the I mean, black community. I mean, I could tell you.
2: I mean, when I was younger, I just, I mean, and I look back at it and I was like just uh, young and dumb, but I looked at therapy as like soft. It wasn't like I didn't know anybody who went. You know what I mean? Like, um, You know, the first person I I, that was close to me that talked about going to therapy was my mom and my sisters. And, you know, they were like grown. My mom was like I was grown. Right. Like. And so that was the first time I did not know anybody that at least talked about going to therapy. I thought it was just something. You know, I thought it was soft. I thought it did not relate to me. I couldn't imagine sharing anything with some stranger. Uh, I was just like, oh, they just newsy. They just getting a the paycheck They hear, listen to you. You solve your own daggone problems. You know, all this kind of, you know, uh, ridiculous macho stuff. Um, you know, and yeah, I, I was just misguided, <laughs> misguided, mistaught, and had the wrong uh, had misconceptions, uh, uh, you know, about it. I still feel like you know it got to be somebody that I really trust. You know, I, I reached out to a friend of mine, Dr. Camila Rashad, and was just like, "Yo, are there some Black Muslim men who who can um, you know, provide therapy? Because I wanted this, you know, uh, the spiritual base to it um, as well." And and she gave this is a couple years ago. You know, I I had like a I just was. Another one of our children, you know, something terrible happened to him and I just couldn't, I was shaking. I was just so angry and upset. I was like, oh, this is this is a different type of way that it's manifesting itself. And so I reached out to her. And to be honest, I I lost the text. I don't even remember, you know, in this this past year, I was like, hey, remember that text you sent me a couple years ago? I might need to reach out to you again and find somebody to to go to. And and again, I, I just sat on it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think uh, for me, and the reason why I asked this question is because I I think that there's a certain level of toxicity that comes out. in our community, with regards to just like how we deal with mental issues and how we deal with, uh, with with mental health, I know growing up, you know, I I had friends that would act differently, and you know, you know, they would get a label like, oh, this person's crazy, or oh, this person's mm-hmm. this, or oh, this person's mm-hmm. that. But um, you know, we never got to the root as to like why that person was behaving the way that they were. And so, you know, I had a couple of friends that you know I played pop Warner with that committed suicide, and nobody ever got to the root as to why. But those were the kids. That were in, you know, the, the the portables of the schools that were getting special education services, you know, and that were that that, that didn't fit the bill of being in the front with 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 I guess the, the quote unquote regular kids, and and clearly they weren't getting the help that they needed. Um, it, it, you know, if if so, they would still be here. And so I think that you know our community really needs to address mental health. I think that you know we need to start putting some pressure on the black church as well. You know, I'm always coming for the black church, but hey, you can throw the uh, masses in there too. They just tell you to pray it away,
2: you know. Yeah. Your faith ain't strong he, enough if you, you know, XYZ. So, yeah, and uh and,
0: and faith alone is not going to get you past these these mental health issues that you have. Um, but yeah, uh, speaking of what you said, Reef. You know, I, you know, I pledged. I felt like, man, listen, if you pledge, you can get through anything. Mm-hmm. But I think pledging is the reason why I need therapy. <laughs> Dang, the sigmas did you like that?
3: Like yeah, man, listen, man, listen. <laughs> well, before before Ray incriminates his whole uh, brotherhood and gets them uh, suspended, I didn't say um, no names. <laughs> um, he said I, a name. <laughs> (laughs) I I think I think there's a few things man I think um, sometimes it just feels like you're admitting defeat um, and some people don't like that I think you know I was blessed though, you know, both, like I said, both my parents were addicts and my mother was, was big on when she went to N.A. I used to go with her. And I think that was one of the best things ever. Um, Cause I got to see all these different people kind of talk about the substance around them. I do. I, I hear people about the piece around the church. I will say, I think that that is starting to change. Like there's a few churches, including my church where, you know, that pastor is very clear around, I'm giving you spiritual counseling, but for these other things, you need an actual therapist. And I think more pastors and preachers I, I can only speak to Christian I can't speak to other religions but they're starting to even talk about their own uh, therapy right like they're having therapy themselves because it's, it's, it's actually hard to be the person that everybody comes to with their problems but I think also, you know, I know I don't know if the stigma is as strong as what it was before. I, I think, especially in the last five years. But the other thing that we don't say is therapy is expensive. Um, and and when you have a network, you, even if you have insurance, sometimes that network doesn't have the caliber of therapists that you want. So for me, I had to go outside of my network and pay almost out of pocket until I changed the budget because it was my organization. But I needed a black coach to tell me that I actually had the power to do that. Right. Um, and, and, and so I, I think I see it in those ways. And the funny thing is, is that I purposely chose a counselor out of in out of the NA system, even though I don't struggle with substances. But just because I really grew to appreciate and, and like that type of therapy, right? And and the rules that they saw follow and just how grounded they are. Um, I like the piece where people can admit their brokenness. I think that we live in a time where our the generation before us did so much hiding who they were and pretending that you have a new millennial group that's 19, 20, 25, that were trying to follow those models. And I think that that's why everybody is seeming perfect and getting canceled because Nobody was actually able to just talk about those faults and accept people, you know. And uh, you know, I think it's something about that piece, man. Uh, I think part of the reason people aren't more open is because they feel like people are gonna use it against them. And we got, you know, if you want to see more people in therapy and taking these things seriously, then we can't weaponize, you know, the things that people go through. Mm-hmm.
4: You know, it's interesting to hear you all, and I'm looking at a couple of comments that have come up. I think in the chat. Um, where folks are talking about the stigma associated with therapy it's really kind of interesting because there's clearly stigma associated with it because a lot of people a lot a lot a lot of people are going or have gone a lot of black people including men, are going or have gone, but they don't tell. And so I talk very openly about therapists. And uh, when I talk about therapy, people start saying, well, my therapist said this, or my counselor said this, and my counselor said that. And interestingly, when I wrote um, Health First, the Black Woman's Wellness Guide, I interviewed my first therapist. So I've had, I don't know, five or six different therapists. I've had black women therapists. Sometimes I don't want to talk to a black woman. I don't want to hear, hear anything a black woman has to say. May, wh- I feel like maybe what I need is to hear what a black man says. So I've had a black male therapist. I've had white women therapists. Sometimes I want to get outside of what black people think about and what might be some ideas coming from other places. So I've had different um, therapists. But when I interviewed my original therapist, she told me um, not only are many women coming to therapy. Like, I remember I was in a book club and I started talking about therapy and found out that every woman in my book club, there were 15 mm. or 16 of us, had been to therapy. So that was a surprise to me. Um, um, but this original therapist said that men are coming to therapists and they're coming to therapy, black men are coming to therapy, and they're not getting dragged by women. So they're coming because they want their own best life for themselves. You know? And so um, at, the more I talk about it, the more I hear from black men, um, especially black men with the type of jobs where they have health insurance, where at least part of it's covered, because, yes, that is an issue. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: huge. But actually, a lot of men are going to therapy for one reason or another, whether it's for themselves, whether it's marriage counseling, whether it's uh, to support them and having the best relationships. possible. Uh, mandated.
3: Uh, I, I, as a social worker, it was a lot of court-mandated therapy that I had to, you know, escort certain folks to, and you know, and uh, and watching them have a breakthrough was, you know, I think that stuff is really powerful because they start off resistant mm-hmm. and they become really, you know, close in that space. Can I ask a question real quick, y'all? I mean, you know, I I don't want to take up too much room, but this is something that I'm really curious about. Is there, or should there be a difference between black self-care versus other groups? And the reason why I say that is, you know, and this is not me, I don't don't know much about other cultures and other groups, so I don't want to speak on them, but I do feel like we have a, a specific set of issues that some of us may be facing that can be like culturally relevant. Do, have you ever had that type of conversation has that ever come up um this like self care should it look different for us versus like someone else cuz even talking about somebody who
2: doesn't deal with racial stress that we have right is that ra- what you mean racial
3: stress and yeah racial stress and i think also even having this conversation there's a level of me that feels uncomfortable because it's a it shouldn't be, but it still is a highly privileged conversation. Again, when you like really in it and you on at the at the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy, right? Like being able to just get a therapist and go and do that and take our time in the middle of the day—that's not always an option for folks, right? So I don't know if I worded that well, Miss Beard, but um, you know, I'll take whatever you got from that.
4: So can can I define self care for a moment?
3: Please do. Thank you. Okay
4: self-care can actually be free and it's a uh, therapy can be a subset of self-care but um, so self-care is the deliberate act of calming or um, comforting yourself when you're feeling distressed or uncomfortable or unhappy right and so i actually have sitting here a number of tools and so so one tool that you can use and we'll get let's let's say therapy is kind of way down the continuum but one tool that you can use that's wired into you is your breath so anytime you your breath out is longer than your breath in it's a calming breath And you can even, um, if you pay close attention to your breathing, and particularly like um, there is um, a relaxation technique that I'll teach you that's called, um, I think, called quick coherence. Anyhow, you close your ears, like, no, 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 I can't hear you, right? So you close your ears and um, you either feel for your pulse in your fingertips. Or sometimes you can hear it and so you know we're on air right now and so we may not you know exactly want to do it but you want to be in a quiet place and if you can listen for your heartbeat so listen inside you're listening inside you're focusing on your insides not outsides so um i think chris you said you typically associate self-care Um, and I think you meant with women, but even a lot of women's self-care is focused on the outside. It's the hair, it's the nails, it's the eyelash, it's the beauty. That's not self-care, right? Self-care is focused on your inside. So you wanna listen for your heartbeat or feel for your heartbeat. And if you breathe in six beats to your heartbeat, so ba-boom, 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 right? Six beats in, and then six beats out, it's very, very calming. But if you do that, you can hear your heartbeat speed up and slow down when you breathe in and when you breathe out. So when you breathe in, you'll hear your heartbeat slow up, or you'll feel your heartbeat speed up, actually. And when you breathe out, you'll feel it slow down. So that's a calming one. But in just in general, if, you, if your out-breath is longer than your in-breath, that's calming. Um, So breathing is free, right? Cheap, really fun. Your children got little soap bubbles, right? The bubbles work best when you take a deep breath all the way down into your belly, right? Those breaths that make the bubbles work best are also really relaxing breaths. So lots of times when I'm feeling stressed out, I will take these bubbles literally and go outside and blow bubbles. The kids in the neighborhood think it's funny, right? (laughs) Um, But in just a few minutes, I'm calm, right? There's also a technique which I'll teach you and you can use it now while we're talking. You can use it in a meeting. Um, But if you cross your arms, just like you're hugging yourself, and just tap on your shoulder, alternating your shoulders. This is Colin. And so uh, we'll get to therapy in a moment. And so so what I'll teach you is that um, we're trained in this culture to think of the brain as a thinking machine. But actually before being a thinking machine, it's uh, um, an organ that's really associated with our survival. It's number one job is our survival. And so always in the background, even while we're, we're thinking there's a part of our brain, that's always scanning, 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 scanning everything in the environment, right? And it's hearing things that we're not conscious of and it's smelling things that maybe we're, it's just scanning, scanning, not just, um, for the reality of danger, like not just to see whatever, somebody's gonna hit you overhead, but it's also thinking of things that could possibly be danger, dangerous, right? So it's looking for things that could possibly be dangerous. Like it's making up things that could possibly be dangerous, right? And so, um, and so this is your fight or flight response. So it triggers your fight or flight response when something threat something is threatening, or it perceives something to be threatening. And so whatever something threatening, like if somebody breaks into your house, that's a legitimate threat, right? <laughs> Thinking about somebody breaking into your house is not a legitimate threat, right? And so the legitimate threat, the person breaking into your house, the person hurting you, the person who pulls a gun on you, uh, you are in the street and a car is coming. Like those are legitimate threats. The feeling that you experience in response to an actual threat is fear. The experience that you have thinking about a possible threat, um, I saw how that person looked at me. Did my partner not like what I just said? Is my boss mad at me? um you know is someone going to break in my house that's anxiety right and so a lot of us worry a lot we stress a lot we worry about and we have anxiety and so anxiety will kick off what is known as our fight or flight response right and so when our fight or flight response occurs you guys are educators so part of what happens is the brain and body redirect your blood hormones and nutrients out of the prefrontal cortex, which is the most advanced and evolved part of your brain kind of sits here. And this is the part of your brain that's responsible for your higher order thinking. So you're planning, you're strategizing, you're organizing, right? You're problem solving, your critical thinking, right? So this is, relates to your kids too, your students. So it reroutes the nutrients out of this part of your brain. The blood flows out of it, the hormones flow out of it, the nutrients flow out and they go out to your hands and to your legs so you can fight, flee, freeze, right? You've been on the bus and somebody gets on acting funny and you see everybody like, "Uh, wait a minute or something, like, right? Freeze, faint. And a lot of women will tend and befriend, which is kind of like you get close to the person who could harm you in an attempt to create a relationship with them. Um, so that they don't harm you. And so that that's often something that women do, not only women, but, and so what we want to do, so when we're stressed out, This is our fight or flight, right? And so we don't have access to our best thinking. Lots of times we'll find it, like we feel this, like we can't think ourselves out of a paper bag. We keep coming up with the same solutions. We're thinking in circles, circular loops. We engage in behavior that we've outgrown, behavior that maybe we're not the most proud of. We have to apologize later. Um, We just can't figure things out. And so we stay stuck. And so um, the news does this intentionally. Right. So the lead story on the evening news is always fire shooting something crazy happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is intentional because they know they can then commandeer the part of your brain that's scanning, scanning, scanning for not just danger, the potential of danger. Boom. It's on a television. It's not in your house, right? But it commandeers your brain. Boom. Now you're watching, shooting at such and such, right? It's not in your house. It's not in your home. It's not in your space. Maybe your space is completely safe. But now they own your brain. And so these cop shows that we watch, they own your brain. And so the the TV stations, they do this intentionally. So they own you, right? So what we want to do is cool that out. And so the breathing... The breathing in shorter than out, so maybe four breaths, four counts in and six counts out. Or that quick coherence where you close your ears, you feel for your pulse, you listen for your pulse and breathe with your heartbeat. Six beats in, six beats out. You want to do that for at least one minute. And if you can do it for five minutes, fabulous. Um, Sharif, I've taught this to educators and they fall asleep um, doing this just because it's so relaxing. and, And so Really that's, why,
2: that's why that's I would only bring you the shoemaker after hours, you know, during right, the day. I was like, that's right. not cool.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So really what we're looking for. So when the relaxation response kicks in, the blood flow returns to this part of the brain. And we need this part of the brain so much now because it's a lot of us who are going to have to make a way out of no way. Yeah. Right. We're going to need to pre like. Whatever, uh, you're a lot of you, you guys are educators. Schools in COVID, right? We need to figure out stuff we ain't figured. Had to figure out before. People are losing their jobs. They're being furloughed. The six hundred dollars a week is about to go. Like all this madness, we need solutions that we've never had before, and we access them through here. So our creativity is here, our ability to access, you know, our 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 spirituality, the powers and forces that are greater than us. Sharif, I know you're nature boy, right? Like nature, like our ability to connect with nature and the sun and the moon and the stars, like we're all a part of that, right? Our body rhythms, our biorhythms are all a part of that. So to align with that, we want to activate this. And so when we, um, if we tap on our shoulders, the way that we know that our relaxation response kicks in is because our body takes a breath on its own. And so it's not the breath that we take when we go to the doctor and the doctor says they put up the stethoscope and say, take a deep breath. And we do. It's not that breath. It's a breath that the body takes on its own. And so if you just want to try this right now, you may experience for experience it for yourself. Um, You could tap on your own shoulders Or you can do it, if you're in a meeting, you can do it under the table. It's opposite side, you can tap on your own knees or thighs so people don't know, right? So the important thing is that cross, that you cross and you tap. And this is called bilateral stimulation. And there's something really healing about bilateral stimulation. And so you may notice after you do it for a while, your body, okay, my body just took the breath. Like you'll take a breath, And that's the signal that the fight or flight is turning off and your rest and digest is turning on. So you can do this before bed. You can do it in bed, wake up in the middle of the night worrying. Um, And so these are free things that are a form of self-care. They're a form of self-soothing. So deliberately uh, calming yourself when you're feeling distressed. You can teach it to your children. Okay, Muriel says she used to tap her daughter's back when she was a baby to calm her, right. You can teach it to your children, you can teach it to your students so they can calm themselves. Um, yeah. So, right, so,
0: so, Heather, real quick, quick question. Uh, how can we get this message that that's resonating for uh, people in the audience, that's resonating for us on the panel? How can we get this message to Kanye?
4: Uh. <laughs> Oh, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sometimes you all talk about people who have a lot of money, right? And they live by a whole different set of rules, right? Kanye has access to everything and everyone, and I can imagine that uh, he is aware, right? Now, whether he chooses to engage is a whole other matter, right? So self-care can look like coloring, right? I have... A uh, coloring book, I keep crayons, right? Self-care can look like mm-hmm. um you know those eye masks that you get removing the sensory stimulation. Right? Mm. Self-care, right? Because you want to you want to become aware of what's going on with you inside. Um, and so we're taught a lot, like for a lot of men how men de-stress if they go in their man cave maybe or deal with the electronics watch the game all that kind of thing and those can de-stress you but you're focused on lebron's dream lebron's life right how about your own dreams your own life right like you're watching lebron lebron ain't watching you right so we want to get in touch with what's going on on our insides like how uh, the power is greater than our, ourselves are talking to us, right? So it's about calming down, going in, and so when you talk about meditating, you know, um, listening to the inner voice, it's hard, mm-hmm. right? Like all your thoughts bubble up, bubble, your to-do list, everything bubbles up, bubbles up, bubbles up right? And that's okay, but you just observe it because you observe, wow, I'm more stressed out than I thought. Wow, I have way too much going on. Wow, do I really need to be doing all these things? Wow, why does this person have um, uh, so much space in my head, right? But once you begin to become aware, then you gain your power of choice. Then you can choose. You know what, I don't like the fact that I'm thinking about that so much. You know what, no human being can do all this. You know what, Charles said he had an assistant, right? I need an assistant. You know what, this job is impossible. I'm not even happy, right? Like maybe I need to make another choice. And so these are the kinds of things that begin to come up. And so, you know, watching the game is in self-care, Uh, going to the electronic stores and self-care for women, hair and nails, that's not self-care. That's beauty. It's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but just know the difference. That's not going to produce a way out of no way. That's not going to produce a new plan. That's not going to produce the path to your dream. That's not going to produce you creating something that hasn't existed before. Right. You know, it sounds
1: like earlier though, there was a, little bit of a talk about church and kind of gloss past it a little bit and I think we were trying to make a distinction between um, yeah but church isn't what you do you go to a therapist when you have even more stressful problems or whatever Mm -hmm. and I just wonder after listening to everything that you said that If a lot of Black people don't see church as their primary source of de-stressing, feeling like there's a higher power that's at at work in their life, something that is like, you know, the the people who will say, not today, Satan, you know, and and they really mean like, you're not going to get me. You're not going to you're not going to make me stress. I'm too too blessed to be stressed is something you hear people say.
4: And I wonder if. Those are the most stressed people, by the way.
1: But I don't know that that's true. And this is the point that I'm making is I don't know if there's something new agey that's in competition that has painted church people as not the authentically faithful people that many of them are because many of them are not. And, and I just happen to know, like I'm listening to everything that you're saying and the different strategies that you have or whatnot. I just know that a really good prayer session for me is like a laundromat for the soul, right? Like, you know, I can. And and having been when I was Baptist, uh, one really good service on a Sunday when I was Baptist could wash me up for the week.
4: Yeah, definitely
1: would have me return to the world on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday. I mean, Wednesday, like y'all ain't gonna do nothing to me. You can't get to me or whatnot. And that was 100 percent in the faith room. So if that was happening for me and other people around me, it almost feels like. That is one form of self-care that has been taking place for a long time and and in my mind has been sec- successful with a lot of folks. <laughs> Why they may not seek out Other forms that seem new agey might not seek out other forms of self-care and self-help.
4: Yeah. Well, let me say I don't miss church. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the conversation in my head for all the reasons I don't have time to go to church today. That's the time I need to definitely go to church. Right. right. I do not miss church period in the story.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm.
4: And that is self-care. So I agree around the prayer. I mean, my self-care looks like church, uh, online church right now. It looks like um, prayer. It looks like when I wake up first thing in the morning, I'm in some kind of spiritual reading. It's almost always the Bible first, but mm-hmm. then some other kind of thing, some meditative kind of thing. I have a Native American flute, right? I'm terrible at it, but if I <laughs> One, play that six.
0: jump, play that jump Play that jump, hey Hey Hillary, play that jump, let's go, let's do it No, I only know one song, right Alright, go ahead, we, we listening
4: You know, so I Like if I hmm. play that Flute for like two minutes ha oh, Right, I uh happen to live near a park. I try to be in the park near nature as often as possible. Um, like, I can't can't let
0: you get past this one. What was the song?
4: song? Uh, so there is this Native American flute player, R. Carlos Nakai. Uh huh. And uh, people, people writing this down, people be, yeah, letter, letter R. Yep. First in our period carlos uh-huh n-a-k-a-i
0: n-a-k-a-i all right
4: yes i often put him on first thing in the morning actually uh like while i'm dressing and all that kind of it's just peace right i have um brainwave entrainment Uh, Elaine, oh, my God, that was soothing. Yes. Um, I have brainwave entrainment. So there are apps that put your brain wave on a peaceful wave, right? Delta, alpha, gamma, like, you know, all of those, like, you can get these apps that are for sleeping or for focusing or for concentrating or relaxing. Like, I will put one of those apps on, right? I will go, uh, I have, um, when I go to sleep, I listen to water, relaxing, right? I have an app, Actually, I have a little. I have apps, but I also have a little machine by my bed. Water sounds. It's very relaxing. Make sure you go to the bathroom first. Um, I um, you hear that, Reef.
2: Listen, I I got a koi pond outside my my window for that. My father, my brother. My son, we dug we dug a koi pond just to hear that waterfall, man. It's uh, my mom was like, that make me think that the faucet is on. That that stresses me out more. So every <laughs> everybody, everybody got their their own thing, you know. Uh, one thing yeah. I do want to ask is particularly because you talked about like you know the frontal lobe and when people get angry. This is why I say stop beating black kids because a lot of times I when I see people beating black kids, it's from the anger, the stress, the the blood and all the neutrons firing in the wrong way.
4: Back here.
2: Yeah, yeah. and then some little five, six-year-old is is getting a beat down over something that's natural in their human growth and development that they did, right? And so when that Think about the racial stress, when I think about the tension that people already have from their jobs or from life and all those circumstances, and you've talked about this a lot, you know, um, and particularly racial stress and and just how all this plays out for children in schools as well. Um, so yeah. I'd love for you to, uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, but we'd love for yeah. you to
0: hold up, hold up, Hillary. Before you jump in on that, I'm gonna just uh, uh, provide a counter narrative to what Reef just said some of these kids need to get
4: snatched. <laughs>
2: All right. Go ahead. Stop beating black kids. <laughs>
4: okay. So here's what I want to say. So this self calming is the key to being the parent that you want to be. Right. Because if you're cool, cool, calm and collective, like if you put your own mask on first, not only are you not operating out of your survival brain, right, your reptilian brain, the kind of lowest functioning part of your brain that you're on a, a loop, you're triggered. Right. So you are the kid. Right. So you're cool. You're calm. You have more options available to you that you can choose from from in terms of how you respond to that child. Right. So Sharif and I have had these conversations about optimal parenting styles and what are the best styles for black kids and um, You know, so one thing that I wanna say right now is mad props to the parents of all these young black folks who are out on the front lines, right? And who are demanding and asking um, and requiring our society to change and who are not putting up with the stuff that we've put up with, right? So there are a lot of parents, I'm like listening to these young people, a lot of parents did it right. And it's like so exciting to hear. And I don't want to say right, wrong, but they've done a fabulous job in it. showing, you know, right now. And so we want young people who are able to ask questions, who are able to uh, to challenge, to explore, to think critically, and so that requires that we show up differently, right? So we can't, um, if we want the child who's able to access the type of school or access the type of education or access the type of jobs where they'll be able to provide for themselves, where they'll be able to lead, where they'll be where they'll be able to be in charge. You know, they're going to need to think critically, and so we're going to need to be calm enough to provide them with answers to the questions that they're asking, to interact with them in their challenging, because there will likely be some challenging. Um, Now, there are limits to that. We want our children to be respectful. We want our children to know time and place. You know, okay, you can challenge in these contexts or you can challenge, I'm gonna give you three rounds of challenging. Okay, watch your tone. All right, that's enough. We're going to move on. Um, I hear you. I'm going to make this adjustment. But okay, that makes no sense because you're a teen- teenager. I'm the adult. Now we're going to move. You know, and so we get to that place by being calm ourselves so that we have all of our brain available to us, not just we're triggered, snatch them, right? Although <laughs> maybe there is a time and place to snatch a child just not regularly. <laughs> there we
0: go. There, that's my best, that's that's, that's that's what a, I needed right that's there. That's his yeah. favorite line
1: right there. <laughs> that's all he wanted.
0: <laughs>
1: hey actually there's this uh There's a school on the screen. I just was going to take like 10 seconds to tell you guys about it. Um, I have a friend, Vikas, who is one of my most gentle friends. He nothing riles him up. He's just like the most calm and steady dude that I know.
4: (laughs) Sharif is like that,
1: too. But Vikas is really like that. And I I asked him once, where did you go to school? And he gave me the school I'd never heard of. There's a school in Iowa that was started by the Beatles Maharaji guy, the guy who was like, working with the Beatles years ago, started a school in the middle of Iowa, and people from across the country send their kids to this school, it's the Maharishi School. Um, And they uh, start the day off with transcendental meditation, the kids actually have a full day of calming things that they do. It's all woven into the school, and into the uh, the curriculum. And I remember saying to him, like, I wonder if something like that could work outside of Iowa. Like not in Plainfield, Iowa, but um, and not long after I said that, I started showing up in a lot of schools talking about mindfulness and uh, calming strategies as an alternative to snatching kids up as an alternative to disciplining them. But this is what rich people do. Right. Like for their kids, this is like a, a what what Rich people do for their kids. I just always wonder if there's an application for all this stuff that we're talking about for our kids while they're at risk of being caught up in the system.
4: Yes, absolutely. Because I go into inner city schools and when I come back, I find out that the teachers have taught. I encourage the teachers, please teach these to the kids because the kids don't feel good when they're out of control. They want this, you know? Like I'll go in, I'll i I have um cotton balls with aromatherapy oil on, right? So I have I bought like this two dollar lavender plant, right? It's like it's amazing, right? Mm, but for ten dollars mm. you can go buy a little thing of aromatherapy, uh the essential oil. You want the oil, not the you know, or get oils off the Muslim stands or whatever in your neighborhood, right? Just get the oils, put it on cotton balls, it's calming, mm, you know. Mm, Kids mm. love it. You know, it's 10 cents, you know. So, uh, yes, the children want it. The parents want it. I think Toya did. I, I think I might have seen is Toya Algarin. Did I mm-hmm. see something from like yeah. her? I remember Toya telling me that she taught her grandchildren. They love being able to calm themselves and self-soothe. It, does, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good. And so things that smell, things that are really um Spicy or really flavorful, tasty. They bring you into the moment. They bring you into the present and they calm down the blah, 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 right flowers. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they can cost a little bit more, but maybe it's possible to grow flowers in a classroom or grow, you know, here's this lavender. You can grow the lavender in the classroom. Go touch the lavender, you know. <coughs> Um, Absolutely. And so these are things that affluent people do, but they got them from our communities, right? (laughs) They got them from people of color. Yeah. I I know
3: know we're coming up on the end and they're going to start closing soon, but just for the folks listening, if you got something from this, if this is actually helping you, uh, can you please help share with your community comment uh, and make sure when you share it that you put a bit of your own comment on it so we can get this in front of more people so they can get this message. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Before we go, can I show you how to reduce your own blood pressure? Please.
0: Please do. Okay. <laughs> so,
4: this is, um, so this is a mudra. Mudra means hand position, um, and it comes from South Asian tradition. So... Uh, I think, Ray, you said you do yoga, and and so in yoga you may do some hand traditions. And so every indigenous um, uh, ethnic group or religious group or whatever had their own hands on healing. So uh, Chris, I think you said you were a Christian or Baptist, so we had laying on of hands or, you know, there's reiki, there's massage, there's pressure points, right? So there are all these points in the hands and around the body that... um, Like the body, the technology of the body is amazing, but capitalism would rather sell us something than, oh, you can reduce your own blood pressure. So reduce your own blood pressure. So how you do that is you can touch your middle finger to the tip of your thumb, and then put your pointer finger in the crease here. Right, you've seen this in, in the pyramids, on the wall of the pyramids, right? like this shape, right? And then if you just turn your hand over, so you touch your thumb to your middle finger, you put your pointer finger in the crease, is that, can you see that? Like that. And then just flip it over. And so the person who taught me to this to me is a body worker. And uh he shared with me that his blood pressure was 150 or over something um, one day and he brought it down to 120 over something in 15 minutes. Mm. So (laughs) this is South Asian technology. You know, but the body is wired to do these things itself. And so, if your blood pressure is high, this is a great thing to practice. We started the um, the day the the show talking about chronic diseases, and so um, you know, Chris, you were talking about how your doctor talked to you about this chronic disease. Another way to think about it that's distressing, and so I'll go ahead and say it because it might light some heat up under you to make some adjustments is that once you have a chronic condition you have the thing that will ultimately lead to your demise. We don't know how long, but that's a different way to think about it. Mm -hmm. The medical establishment has very low expectations for our community, right? So they don't think that you would be willing to make an adjustment, a lifestyle modification, stress reduction, change your diet. You mentioned less sugar less processed foods. So we want the food to look as close to how God made it as possible, right? No bags of things, you know, fewer bags of things, fewer boxes of things, fewer ingredients on the label that we don't know what it is. So ideally, if you can afford it, look for foods with like six or eight ingredients on the label and you know what every one of them is, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Not the first one be sugar.
0: Yeah.
4: Right. And just by making these adjustments, like we can take charge of a lot of this stuff, Um, reduce our weight, reduce our blood pressure, reduce our blood sugar, you know, with food. The food is nutritious. It's what capitalism does to make the food more profitable, to make it be able to sit on the shelf for six, eight, 10, 12 months for two, three years, Right. It takes it out of nature, out of the context of nature so it can make more money. Soda. I used to work. I used to work for a soda company. I won't say which one, but, you know, there are only two big ones. And um, it's the one that black people drink. (laughs) And, you know, I realized at one point point in time, oh, my gosh, I've been hired to poison my community. Like when I first uh, came on board, I didn't understand how how uh, dangerous high fructose corn syrup was, right? But then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, high fructose corn syrup is the devil, right? Oh, they hired me. Oh, diversity hire. Oh, oh you want me to sell more poison to black people? Oh, no, I'm not the ones. Mm-hmm. You know? So the soda that they dump in our community is, it's, you know. The
2: sugary drinks. So, when we used to travel, Ray used to bring a bag of hot Cheetos. You know, we were trying to tell him hey, to leave that, that, that alone.
4: Right,
1: right. <laughs> hey, so what, hey, what are Cheetos made from? What are Cheetos made from? I don't science. They're <laughs> made from science. they hey, made hey, straight hey, out hey, of the
0: science styrofoam. movie. Styrofoam <laughs> with hot sauce. Go ahead, Right. For, for those of y'all that are listening, if you're in L.A. or you in the in the inner city, watch those hand signs, all right? <laughs> can you do
2: it again? Uh, uh, Bernita wanted just to screenshot the... the.
4: Yeah, please screenshot it, Bernita. Okay. So or you could do your video, right? So what you're going to do is touch your middle finger to your thumb, right? And then so you can screenshot it. I'll just do one. Mm-hmm. But so then you're going to take your pointer finger and put it in the crease right here. So yeah, watch the gang signs. Yeah, hey, you look like a you look like a noob right there. <laughs> well, so but haven't you seen like a shape like this on the wall of the pyramids? Peter right? Ford. Peter so, Ford. Right? And so to look at let me see is there another direction to look at it from?
0: That's definitely the noobs. What? Yeah.
4: Right.
0: Thank you. Yeah. For that. you giving away fraternity secrets up there. <laughs> uh oh. You <He's> are silly. <laughs> cool. All right, so so um, closing thoughts, fellas. We 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 had around that time is here, th- uh, Miss Beard. Thank you for coming on and, and being such an amazing uh, guest and bringing us so much energy. Thank uh, you. For- we needed this yeah it's just a yeah. for us so uh, we we'll start with you mm-hmm. yeah
2: i mean you know again uh you know thanks a lot i i want to just apologize to you know my mom and my wife uh they actually both of them have been coloring for a while. My wife does puzzles and I and I would tease like, give those kids back their toys, <laughs> you know, and, and why are you say, you know, I like, so like, why are you stealing your grandkids coloring books? And she's like, this is for my own peace and in, uh insanity and stuff. So you know one, I just wanna apologize for making fun. Everybody who has gone to therapy and I used to be like, oh y'all soft, y'all need this, y'all need that, you know, um, you know apologies. And especially my staff, you know, when I was a principal, when I first became principal early on, you know, folks would talk about like, hey, you know, we're stressed. I'm like, listen, we're working for black kids. De-stress yourself, lace your boots up and let's go. Right. And I, th- I think I could have just found other ways, you know, because I had one mindset around it, but I could have been just more open-minded and thinking like, what are the different ways to, uh, you know, to help folks uh, de-stress and so they can be there fully for our children? Because we 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 need freedom fighters who are, as you said, thinking with their frontal cortex, like full time, because that is what our children deserve. So, you know, again, just to really appreciate you being on and sharing, you know, a different way. And I loved your definition of of uh, self-care, deliberate act mm-hmm. of comforting yourself when you are distressed. And I didn't I didn't look at like my prayers and and being in Asia necessarily as as uh, self-care. When I hear self-care, I would I would still smirk a little bit, you know, every every time, you know, but I'm not going to I'm not going to tease Ray <laughs> Any more about yoga I can promise that Because I'm looking at it Very differently now Mm. Chris, go to you Because I know you're you're still Going to (laughs) tease What are you going to say, Hillary? I
4: was going to say about therapy I want to say Therapy is an education process You learn skills like you may share your pro- problems, but you're learning new problem-solving skills and new thinking skills and new ways of thinking and strategies for thinking. Um, uh, so it's not like a we. I mean, you can you can do whatever you want, but I'm learning new skills, right? Mm-hmm. And new ways of thinking and ways of thinking outside of the ways. Like our community, sometimes we think a certain way about things. Well, I want a way out of that, right? So coach me, help me. What are my blind spots? Uh, where am I engaging in survival thinking? Like challenge it. Like I want a partner like that, you know? Um, Yeah. So uh, lots of times we are not understanding Is because we don't have, we have not historically had a tradition of it. And there weren't a lot of Black therapists originally, and it was used against us. And I also want to say a lot of churches offer therapy now and are very open about therapy. So Mm -hmm. my church offers therapy, there are all sorts of therapists in our church, they refer, you know, all that kind of thing. And so um, I think that all of these things um, can be in our toolkit.
0: Hillary, uh, is, is there a way for us to get you uh, back soon for a part two? Because we didn't even talk about black parenting. We didn't oh, okay. talk about... Yeah, we didn't talk about Black Parenting, and and, and I know that our audience would definitely love for you to come on and talk about that. So if there's a way for us to get you back on quickly, that would be great.
4: Charles. I would be honored. I'd be honored.
3: Charles. Thank you. Oh, I just thank you for coming and thank you for the information. I still have definitely some questions, but uh, this, was, this was great. And uh, just for our 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 patrons that asked about, you know, making sure that we gave space to our therapists, like our patrons have a lot of power about how we try to do our podcast. So I just want you all to know we listen to you and hopefully this was
0: helpful. All right. So, uh, Ms. Heather, we'll close out with you.
4: Thank you. Well, I've enjoyed having this conversation with you as the, you know, so I told you my family story about my father and it, um, it's an honor to be able to give his suffering and our family's suffering um, life and for his suffering to be useful. Um, and so I love to share his story and share our family's story and, you know, to those who have ears, let them hear. And um, you know, if you're interested, I'm on Facebook at Hillary Beard author. Um, and so I would love to connect with you there. Hillary Beard author.
0: All right, folks, you have been listening to another episode of the eight black hands podcast. Until we meet again. Ace, you have been listening to the eight black hands podcast with Ankrum Cole. El Meki and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.